What up? Welcome to the first ever episode of the Bengals Insiders Podcast. This is Braden Guthrie and Blake Jude. We are your co-host. We're glad you're joining us today. And what this is, is Bengals Podcast with a little extra of something. We, after every... After we talk about Bengals, we might talk about movies, just a lot of other stuff. We want to be interactive with the community. So, Blake, anything else I'm missing about this introduction? No roller coasters. No roller coasters. Well, for you guys confused, that's an inside joke to about two minutes ago, which <laughs> I might bring up later. But today we're <laughs> going to be talking about the Bengals draft class and some other people the Bengals passed on and skipped on. And we're going to talk about should they maybe draft to them? Did they make the right decision? And then we're going to talk about time travel in Avengers Endgame. Obviously, one of the most hyped movies. I think it lived up to the hype, but there's some confusion on what happened. Time travel at the end, and Blake and I will give our insight on that. So uh, enough introductions because people hate those. Let's talk about <laughs> round one, pick 11. The Bengals take Jonah Williams. And there's a decent amount of fans who wanted Dwayne Haskins. I think we were both in that on board Dwayne Haskins. So uh, how do you feel about Jonah and how do you feel on passing on Haskins for Jonah? I was, I was really 50, 50. Um, I was on a live, my Instagram, tailgate Bengals plug. Um, but um, no, I was, I was, everyone, I think was hyped for Dwayne Haskins. I think everyone was expecting Zach Taylor to get his new system QB possibly uh, for the future. I know. I mean, there wasn't as much connections with Dwayne Haskins, uh, but you know, everyone figured that, of course, with a new QB coach, especially if someone that's so involved in the offense, that you would think that, you know, getting a quarterback like Dwayne Haskins would make a lot of sense. Uh, I know Austin Cincinnati's a lot of Ohio State fans. Uh, so it, it was a lot of hype around the, around the fan base. And personally for me, I thought getting Dwayne Haskins would, would really increase the, uh, the, the most, like, fan interest at least, you know, because not only would the Ohio State's fan Ohio State fans join, but also you'd have teams that are not interested in the Bengals because, you know, Dwayne Haskins is now possibly a more interesting QB than Andy Dalton. And uh, I thought that would get a lot more ticket revenue. However, I definitely think, and we'll get on to this later, I think Jonah Williams is a terrific uh, player, and I think he might have been one of the best, if not the best player available in the draft at that point. Yeah, Williams was either number two or number three on my big board. Uh, I had Brian Burns ahead of him. I don't know if I had Haskins ahead of him or not. I have two different boards, one with positional value and one with not. So the one with positional value, Haskins was barely ahead. But it's that's really hard to get into because I think you know, the best way I can put it, I'm pissed it wasn't Haskins, but I really love Jonah. Because Jonah, he's kind of the exact opposite of Cedric Obway. Cedric's kind of this lazy, athletic guy who had no technique, just really seemed no heart in college between Jonah, guy who loves football. He, he's a workout warrior, his superior technique, and he's he was the most NFL-ready offensive tackle coming out. He was my offense tackle one and really wasn't close. Uh, he's a guy who – he's – I was thinking that first might have been right tackle for us, but it's since the news of Cordy Glenn broke out, it's obvious that he's going to be left tackle, which I'm perfectly fine with. I think he's capable. I think he may struggle a little just because he's a rookie, but I think he's going to be our left tackle of the year. I think he's the new coming of Whitworth 2.0. I think he can be a top 10 offense tackle in the league for a long time. And yeah, you got to think that, uh, 
when back to Cedric Ogbuehi, I think the main difference between Ogbuehi and uh, Jonah Williams is not only did you say that Jonah Williams is definitely more polished, uh, he definitely had a better uh, college career than uh, Ogbuehi. I definitely think he's going to have a much higher floor. Uh, but Ogbuehi at the time, he definitely had all the measurables and everything that the Bengals would like for an offensive tackle. While Jonah is a little bit smaller, he's got smaller, shorter arms. However, he's, he's been proven that he's able to take his arms, even though they're shorter, and still use them to the best of his ability, which is why I personally, you know, coming out of college, I wasn't even a big fan of Ogbuehi either. Uh, neither was I Jake Fisher, and both of those picks were end up being awful, as you can tell. But, uh, yeah, Ogbuehi, he's I, – I, from the moment he stepped into college, I knew he would be a very, very raw offensive tackle pro, uh, prospect, and it would take a very talented offensive line coach and team overall to really uh, help him – advance and I know the Bengals weren't going to be that team so as soon as the pick happened I I really figured that uh that wouldn't be the perfect match uh, however Jonah Williams like I said he's he's more polished he's obviously you know better coming out of college and so I think this is a much better fit for the Bengals and I think that even with our new offensive line coach uh, Jim Turner I think that it's actually a very very good scheme fit as well yeah, I think Williams is honestly one of the. I think a lot of offensive tackles nowadays are a guy is a guy you can just put into most schemes. I think Jonah in a West Coast scheme fits really well. I think Williams kind of likes that nasty attitude Jim Turner has. Williams is kind of he's a really nice guy off the field, but once you put on the pads, he turns into a pretty nasty guy. And uh, going back on his arms, he. It is over 33 inches, which is kind of the new threshold. So maybe not as long as some of the older offensive tackles, but they still are better than average, I guess. And you look at his film, and other than not even, I don't even think Clean Furl beat him. I just think there's a couple of plays where Williams just kind of got outbeat, but you see him control majority of the game, but then you look at games against Mississippi State and Montez Sweat shuts him out. For the most part, beats Farrell. And he Williams in the SEC is consistently shutting down these five-star, four-star defensive ends, and that's something that comes as a positive to me. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think also in the championship game, a lot of times and it was it was very smart coaching by Davo Sweeney. Uh, I think that he was able to maneuver away from Jonah Williams. I think that he obviously knew that Jonah Williams was the most dangerous and the best player on the offensive line on their team. And I think Cleveland Farrell did have an impact, but I think that most of the time it was off of plays that Jonah was either blocking someone else at the time or Cleveland was able to, you know, uh, just scheme run around to a different spot uh, other side of the other side of the line, face against the right tackle instead. Uh, several different uh, different pass rushes by Devil Sweeney in that case, and also I don't think you I don't think enough credit was given to the defensive tackles in that game, uh, Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins, as they were obviously terrific in that game as well. Uh, so there really wasn't much Jonah could do, you know. <laughs> Even if he holds up on his guy, there's three other guys that are getting to the quarterback anyways. So yeah, I agree. I think there's not really many holes in Jonah Williams' game. I think he's obviously terrific in pass protection, uh, as it showed in this film. Uh, run protection is is very solid as well. Um, and, of course, he was in a great system like Alabama, but I think he could still thrive in a team like the Bengals. Yeah, for sure. And I remember watching one of the plays against Farrell, and uh, one of the Twitter scouts kind of pointed out that Jonah, one of the plays where it looks like Farrell runs Williams over, Williams actually just tripped on his own feet. So, 
yeah. just kind of a bad luck play. So, I'm, yeah, I mean, Jonah, if you ask me, was some people were trying to hype up Dillard, but to me, Jonah was easily the best offensive tackle in the draft. The Bengals feel a huge need and a big part of fixing the offensive line. So, I mean, I would have liked Haskins, but when I put my not wanting Haskins or wanting Haskins aside, I absolutely love this pick and all my problems with the pick have nothing to do with Jonah. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think I think Dillard ended up being such a high prospect and actually being arguable for number one, mostly due to his combine. I mean, you know, beforehand, I think he was a consensus uh, late first rounder, early second rounder, at least in my opinion, he was. Uh, film grade, film grade was solid uh, at Washington State, but then again, he never really faced against anyone very, uh, you know, very elite down there. And yeah. I mean, his tape wasn't nearly as impressive. You could tell there was some holes in his game. And he was one dimensional. Like, he was very one. Barely saw him, and that's not necessarily his fault because you don't. The left tackle obviously doesn't call the plays, but you can tell right away that he doesn't have the ideal power. I do will give him that. I think he's the best natural pass blocker, but he's not a very good run blocker. And the only time I really saw him against run win against run blocking was because he was playing against bad competition. I didn't see the technique, the leverage. I there were times he flashed climbing up to the second level, but if he's against a more powerful guy, I don't think he makes those blocks well he had he had a terrific uh, agility for a uh, offensive tackle i think he might have arguably had the best in the combine uh or at least in the uh in the draft um you know he was i mean very, for an offensive tackle very very fast very agile uh you know i think he had a great three cone um overall just you know and like you said his power was really the issue um he did show up pretty solid power in the combine but it really doesn't show nearly as much on the tape uh i think I think in the second level, uh, one of his issues is going to be against power rushers. Uh, guys like, you know, Carlos Dunlap, uh, you know, um, trying to think of other names, DeMarcus Lawrence. Uh, DeMarcus Lawrence is going to be a very big issue for him as he's able to use his power very well being on the Cowboys against the, I guess, the Eagles now off to tackle. So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, the Bengals didn't take dealers, so that's not an issue. I do. Th- think Dillard will be a very good left tackle, but just because of his run blocking issues, and I re- and you can only teach so much of power. And I just don't think he's going to have the power to become the elite tackle that I know his RAS score of like 9.66, which is a great score. I don't think he's going to quite live up to that. I still think he's going to be very good. And I still think the Eagles got a really good pick out of him. But I would, I'd take Joan over him 10 out of 10 times. And you also got to think, uh, Dillard's probably going to sit this year. Uh, Eagles have a terrific O-line. Uh, terrific I would hope so. He and I it. think that Dillard's going to have enough time to sit back. And I think, I think even if Dillard were to be legendary at the Eagles, I think it does still doesn't spell the fact that he would be a better pick than Jonah, mostly because I don't know how well Dillard would do in this offense compared to Jonah. I think Jonah would definitely be more successful. Um, Jonah is definitely more of the Joe Thomas, Andrew Whitworth type, while Dillard is more of the agile. I mean, he fits the Eagles. All, he fits the Eagles scheme much better than he fits the Bengals scheme as Jonah fits the Bengals scheme much better than the Eagles scheme. So overall, exactly. I, I don't I don't have an issue with the pick. I st- Jonah was my number one ranked uh, off the tackle. In my opinion, he had the best tape. In my opinion, he might, his combine might not have been as great as Dillard's, but I honestly, at this point, I take tape over combine at, in several different points, especially when the combine was solid. And Jonah was yeah, Jonah yeah, exactly. by no means had a bad combine. He didn't have an Orlando Brown combine. He had a solid <laughs> combine. And so if you have a solid combine and terrific tape, you're going to be a top prospect for me. Yeah, and uh, I was saying, oh yeah, and things the Bengals for 
a decent amount of years now have kind of taken the high-risk, high high-reward high player. So I don't have a problem with taking the not as high reward, but a lot safer player who you know is going to be very good for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus, you get on to the next pick. We might have a bit of a disagreement here. Drew Sample picked that surprise a lot of people. I think nobody was expecting the Bengals to take him there. Uh, I know you have a little more optimistic view about this pick, so I'll let you start, Blake. All right, so with uh, Drew Sample, um, scouting him, I did have a third-round grade on him. However, I will explain why I still think this pick is pretty solid. Um, what Drew Sample brings to his team is – finally something that we haven't had in my opinion in a very long time maybe even since or maybe just since ryan hewitt ryan hewitt was a terrific blocker but a great blocking tight end a guy that we can definitely trust to continue this run game i think he tr- i think he fits this scheme better than anyone else we've drafted um i think he's terrific and though blocking tight ends normally do not have a very high value i think what drew sample brings that most of the other blocking tackles don't is a little bit of optimistic feeling about passing game he wasn't nearly he was not nearly as much utilized in the passing game as past blocking tight ends like such as nick boyle in the past and uh i think that he's still unproven in that area and i think he has shown he has shown signs that he can be a terrific uh catcher and he's shown uh obviously in the training camp that he's ran some terrific routes aj green has high praise on him so does brian callahan who has talked terrifically about him zach taylor as well I think they are very confident in him. And the mo- biggest reason why I don't have as much of an issue with this pick is because of the next pick. And we'll go back to that later. I think if you switch those two around, honestly, I would be just as happy with this draft as what I was right, <laughs> you know, as if it was right now. So um, I think that, I think that honestly, there could have been better players available. But I do think that a tied end at that time, if we were just set on tight end, you know, we have an injured Tyler Eifert. I don't think CJ Uzama is a starting worthy tight end at this point yet. Um, I think that Drew Sample is a terrific pick. He has high upside in the catching ability. He's already a proven blocker. Worst case scenario, he's an elite blocking tight end. Um, so, I, I mean, like, at least great goal on situation uh, tight end. And honestly, I mean, I, I understand what people say that he's not a second-round pick worthy guy. However, I think that he can be. It's a low risk in my or low risk, possibly a, you know, lower reward, I guess. Um, but I think that what he brings to the scheme is what was really, really needed, and he we were able to do it. Plus, I've also heard people teams that were interested in taking him earlier as well. So, see, my problem is I have a couple problems in little sandwich. Just the thing: the Bengals said they weren't sure he's going to be there around. That's fine, but you know what that tells me? They were eyeballing. They weren't really looking at other positions, better players. And we've seen the Bengals do that before, and I don't want to make any accusations before because we truly don't know what happened. We weren't in that war room, but it really seems like they were just kind of eyeballing. They weren't even looking at better players. It's like it was either sample or maybe trade down again. That's one of my problems with the pick. You see, you have something to say. I was gonna say I think beforehand it was it was gonna be one of the offensive tackles. I think it was gonna be Cody yeah. Ford or Juwan Taylor at that point. And yeah. as soon as they both of them hopped off the board, I think they wanted to go with their with uh you know with um Drew Sample. And I think that at that point they didn't want to lose another one of the guys on their board, so they went ahead and took him earlier now uh, instead of regretting later. Uh, so I understand what you're meaning by that. 
Yeah, you know, actually kind of going on the offensive tackles, the Bengals did try and trade up for Cody Ford and or Juwan Taylor. Uh, you know, Sony under lock on Bengals. I think with Joe Goodbear kind of came with uh not even sure if it was a theory, but the idea that the Bengals might have given up the knowledge that they wanted Dalton Risner because obviously the Broncos took him a pick before and it's possible that when the Dolphins or Dolphins Broncos traded up that the Bengals said no there's a guy in Risner we want here and the Broncos having to pick it before they're like you know what we'll take him and make you trade down so with the yes. Bengals I wouldn't be surprised if that happened because I'm still I don't know Tobin I'm still not sold on him i have a lot of question marks about him he'll sometimes do stuff i really like then he'll make questionable stuff like this but even then i even we agree i have a fourth round but i but the Bengals, i think in a way admitted that we know this wasn't a good value pick but we don't care and it's just i look at the okay go ahead i was gonna say and that's where i think we're we're very separate uh we've had arguments in the past you know i think you prefer uh well i think you take value a lot more for granted than I do, um, you know, because, you know, you saw like, you know, you love you like sample. You like him as a prospect. You think he's a good prospect, a good player, can fit the scheme well, but he was a bad value at number two. And I think that's why you hate to pick a lot more than I do. I look at more as it's still a great player, still a guy that can fit in our offense. We're all still a player that can overall improve our run game, if not our passing game as well. Um, and, that, you know, that's where we think separately, I guess. Hey. Here's my problem. Like, I look at the offense we're going to run. We're going to run a majority of 11, a little 12, and 11 personnel offenses, three receivers, a tight end. But, but then you look at three receivers, and this is something else we'll have to talk about in another episode. I think that third receiver in the, is going to be Tyler Eifert instead of John Ross for a while, and the other tight end will probably be C.J. Uzama. Then in the 12 personnel, which I think they'll run 30% of the time, I think that's when we're – you have two tight ends lined up and two on the line and two wide receivers. I think in the 12s where we're going to see majority of Drew Sample, I don't think we're only going to see that 30% of the time, even when I hate to say when, but I think it's kind of a given that Eifert's eventually going to get hurt. But even then they wouldn't use Eifert in the 12 formation. They would use Uzama and Sample. And I just don't see them using Sample more than 30%. And now if this pick was the only time I'm okay with quote-unquote reaching whatever your definition of reaching is it's if it's taking a player that can make you to the next level that can actually put you into contention and Drew Sample just doesn't do that for me and I hope I'm wrong I really do I hope he turns out to be Gronk 2.0 but I just the the stuff that people argue why he's a good pick in round two and is okay worth reaching just doesn't I'm having trouble putting this as was saying, the stuff he he doesn't he wasn't worth the reach. I guess, is the only way I can really say it. I think he will be a good player. I just think it was a bad reach. I think whenever I whenever I look at the Drew Sample pick, I think I think of Zach Taylor trying to implement the uh, Rams offense, and I I see uh, Drew Sample having a very very similar big similarity to Titan Tyler Higby. And that's something that I think that if we want to win later on, Tyler Higby was important per player on the Rams' offense, and he was used in a correct way. When looking at a tight end, honestly, if I was looking for an offensive tool, it not only would it be O-line, it would also be a tight end, but it wouldn't be an offensive weapon tight end, honestly, because I think C.J. Uzama can be that. I think Tyler Eifert can be that. And you're correct when, I say, when you say that he will not be Gronk 2.0. He will not be 
improving the team as much as we expect him to, in my opinion. But I still think he brings a dimension to this team like Tyler Higby does to the Rams. I think without Tyler Higby, uh, Todd Gurley's not as elite as he is, and that's I mean, that, that's saying a lot. But I'm, Todd Gurley's still going to be a fantastic quarter, a running back without him. But I still think Tyler Higby gives Gurley a more of an edge to be one of the best uh, running backs in the nation or in the NFL. And I also think that that's something that Drew Sample can do for a guy like Joe Mixon. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully he can at least become, if he becomes an above average, not elite, an above average ty- receiving tight end, in my opinion, he can become one of the most important players on the offense for the Bengals. See, that's very optimistic. I'm not quite at that optimistic level. Is there are players there who I th- at 52 that I think really could put us at the next level. And I just don't think Sample can. I think he can help us, but we had a chance to get so much better players and we were eyeballing a certain position and just history shows that doesn't work out well for us. And that's not to say Sample will be bad because I think he'll be good, but I think we might see some of the players taken shortly after him do really well. We might be like, dang it, we had a chance to get him. Did, but that's so, hindsight at that point. Were you against trading down then? Honestly, for what we did, I would have much rather taken Greedy Williams or even take a chance on Drew Locke. That's what I would have rather done because basically the extra six-round picks, and I know we also got a fourth-round pick, but I think we could have lived without those extra picks, yeah. especially for the way we traded up in the, in the fourth round. So you wanted to you wanted to either go quarterback or uh, further improve the uh, secondary and the defense, I guess. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I, I really like Greedy. I had a he was just based off talent, not with the personality issues and stuff. He was a top ten player for me. He I thought he fit perfectly in our defense alongside William Jackson. I think he could, especially with our corner situation, he could mature under Kirkpatrick for a year. And this is really the last year of Kirkpatrick taking up a lot of money before. And I'm not saying we should cut Kirk, but we could next year without really getting a cap hit. So I think that we're getting a lot of upside in that secondary. And I think Drew Locke under quarterback coach like Zach Taylor could be really interesting. Yeah, I kind of see it as, yeah, I understand Drew Locke uh, pick. And I think I agree that he has a Drew Locke, has a terrific upside, even though he's not really shown much during training camp. However, um, the Greedy Williams pick, when you go back to it, and the way I look at it, and I love, uh, like like I said, I, I, I really like Greedy as well. He was my cornerback one. But I do think that he would have a lot of trouble during, with playing time, uh, especially during this season, as we do at BW Webb, uh, Dark West Denard, William Jackson, Drake Patrick, and I can't, Looking at the Bengals, I know it's a new coaching staff, you know, new system and everything, but I still can't imagine the Bengals actually playing greedy as much. I don't, I don't think he even plays over BW Webb at this point in time. Oh no! I think well, they're two at two different positions. BW is a slot, is a slot, and an outside. I get that. Yeah. However, yeah, I know what you mean. But BW Webb is also he showed in the Giants he could play outside if need be, and I still think that's what he might do for the Bengals as well. Um, I just don't think the Bengals would. You know, I guess it's just me being used to the past Bengals. You know, we, we've always had the we've always had yeah. that never play. You know, they're always like year two, year three. Jesse Bates is a huge exception. We never expected Jesse Bates to be a starter year one. Um, you know, I think I 
just the way I've always pictured the Bengals, I couldn't imagine that Greedy Williams had started year year one, and maybe he had year two. Maybe he'd be a terrific prospect, but, but by then, I think we already could have gotten another cornerback in the never in another draft. So that's just how I see it personally. But corner can be very hit or miss, though. Some yeah, some of them need a long time. Some of them can come in right away, like William Jackson. I know he set out year one, but that was due to injury. Once he started playing, he caught on. But I guess the my counter to that is. Sure. Let's just say Greedy sits all of this. Let's just play a hypothetical game. Does Greedy sample? Do you think even Sample has a really good year? That's going to make the difference. Just his rookie year of how the Bengals will be. Do you, versus Greedy sitting out. How much of a difference do you think Sample is going to have in the thirty percent of snaps he's going to get? I think. I think what Sample is going to do is, I think he's going to affect our third down conversion rate and our overall touchdown rate in the goal line a lot better uh, than what it has been. And it was already very, it was already solid in the past. We had a really good red zone offense last year. And with yeah, John well, Ross, I, was, I don't think yes. Sample's even going to be a part of the red zone offense. I, I think you will. I think, honestly, I just see it as I don't think you use Zom as a terrific blocker. Now that Jake Fisher is now gone, Jake Fisher is an important part of red zone offense. I think Drew Sample can overall take that position that, Drew, that Jake Fisher left. And I think he'll be, I think he'll perform that position better because Jake Fisher was also a receiving, a receiver in the goal line offense a lot of times. Uh, and I think Drew Sample is already in tight end. He's already in receiver. He can already catch. I think he's better than Jake Fisher when it comes to catching the ball. And I also think that he might, might not be as great at blocking, but I still think he provides a very, very solid blocking uh, the goal line and the overall receiving threat will make the uh, secondary and the linebackers up more wary of him to actually, you know, streak out and catch an easy touchdown in the end zone. Uh, but let me ask, do you th- really think that sample is going to make you the difference in the season this year? Then let's say greedy could have two years down the road. <sighs> See, it's a tough question. And, you really have to think about it. This is when you go back to greedy when you got to saying it's a hit or miss, you know, cause like you said, cornerback is a big hit or miss. You can either be a terrific pick or it can be an awful pick. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys are picked before greedy, uh, George Juan Williams, uh, you know, uh, trying to think of other names. Um, I'm looking at guys taken after. I also would have taken Lonnie Johnson over him. I know yeah, you would. I know, there's also uh, going to the safety, but Nasir Adderley or Taylor Rapp. Trayvon Mullen is the guy I was thinking of from uh, Clemson. Uh, you know, those are all picked before him. Um, so I think that there, there's a lot of cornerbacks there that could either be terrific picks or terrible picks, you know? Uh, and I think, I think there's a reason why Greedy fell below those guys. I think, I mean, I had, probably I, I was not thing. high on Trayvon Williams at all. And he was picked before him. And it's not that, it's not that I, or Trayvon Mullen, <laughs> Trayvon Mullen, not that. Um, and it's not that I, it's not that I think Greedy, it's not, I think, it's not that I think Trayvon Mullen's bad player I, just, I think that i mean i just personally had a higher grade on greedy and i think that there's something that nfl teams saw that we didn't about greedy and maybe it's just his attitude maybe it's his attitude maybe the teams are looking at his locker room presence and what he can bring to the team and i think the Bengals need at this point is a bad locker room presence especially with a new coach oh yeah they're very clear that they didn't want bad locker room guys and that's why i knew they weren't going to take him so yeah. i'm just kind of living my own fantasy world here but I, I, yeah, think, I think it has to be the attitude the reason he fell because I know we're not NFL scouts, but his film is just so good. I think Greedy could hurt the team more than Sample, but he can also improve the team more than Sample. So it's a much bigger risk. And I think with a new coach like Zach Taylor, I think that he, he wants to be risky, but at the same time, you know, he's 
he's kind of on a leash at this point. You know, he's he's got yeah. to impress. He's got to at least be proven to be a solid coach in the future so that you know that, you know, we can probably give him another contract or two. That way he can actually start making moves himself and being confident. Mm-hmm. So, and I will say I do not like the Greedy in Cleveland as the fit. The Greedy, as I said earlier, would fit really well in our defense to press man coverage. And uh, in Cleveland, that's kind of more off zone, kind of the – that's kind of why William Jackson looked bad at times last year. William Jackson's – it's like Greedy Williams in press man, but then Terrell Austin's calling these off zone. It just doesn't work. And corner's one of those positions that if you're in a bad scheme, that can really hurt you. And I'm kind of scared for Greedy in Cleveland with that. Yeah, and then – but you also you also got to look – we'll get off this topic of Greedy now. We'll go back to your sample. You know, if if we weren't going to pick Drew Sample, another player that I'd be okay with would be Jermaine Pratt, who we managed to get in the third. So I kind of see it as if we get Jermaine Pratt in the second and we get uh, Drew Sample in the third, uh, it it looks like a much better draft, in my opinion. I think that it does, even though I still had a fourth on Sample. I was, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's still for you at least still reach for me. It's a, actually a very good fit, uh, and it's good value for me because I had him in the third. Um, I think that. I mean, Pratt is a terrific linebacker, in my opinion, and in my opinion, I think he will eventually, if not this year, be the proven number one linebacker on the team. And so I think if we get him round two, that still looks like a terrific pick, and we get Drew Sample round three, it's another, it's still like the same points that we just made, except it's uh, around later, and it's a, you know, it's not as nearly as bad of a pick, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, so uh, now let's talk about Jermaine Pratt. I think this was a pick I was so excited because when you talk about guys you want in the mid-rounds, a lot has to happen. They can't cover that position in the first couple rounds. Then they, the board just has to fall in a certain way. And for you guys curious, we were both extremely high on Pratt. Uh, he was my line. He was at one point my linebacker too. Then I kind of came to my senses with Devin Bush. Then, but I think long term, I mean, we're we're not going to tie with Devin Bush. I long term, I kind of have two different boards. Who, who's the better prospect and who I think is going to be better? I had pride as who I think is going to be the second best linebacker in this draft class five years down the road. So, I I also didn't like Devin Bush that much. If you can't tell. Or don't follow me on Instagram, but Jermaine Pratt was a guy who I was high on. I had an early second on. He was either my third or fourth ranked linebacker. As Blake just said, I would have been happy with taking him round two. But Pratt's a guy to me who's honestly athletic-wise not too far from Devin White. And this pick just makes so much sense for the Bengals. I'm surprised they actually did it. Uh, Pratt, he's a very good – he's a sound tackler, very very good technique – Really good man coverage. His hips can get a little tight, but when I actually look at his hip issues, I think that's just him being more uncoordinated. And because he's still learning linebacker, he's only played linebacker for two years, only started one. So a lot of his issues are just technical issues from moving from safety to linebacker. And you can see throughout the year that he was working that stuff out. And I think hips, which a lot of teams kind of flagged is a thing that improved and I think will improve as he continues to play linebacker. And and that is a very, very improvable trait that he has that he can develop and further his game in. I think that, uh, you know, Jermaine Pratt, in my opinion, is by far the best. You know, other names that came after were Jason Sternberger, uh, Chase Winovich, David Long, Sion Takitaki, who I was not nearly as high on as I was 
Jermaine Pratt. Pratt's personally my my uh, fourth linebacker. Sorry, yes, my fourth linebacker, and I regret saying that because I did have Mac Wilson at third. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm, no I, we'll talk about him later okay all right we'll talk about him later but uh you know i I'm, like i said we're not going to get into bush but i did have bush at two and i still think bush will be more effective in the steelers defense as i think he's he has a much easier opportunity than what oh, well, he's has. a perfect that defense bush is a perfect fit in that defense yes i and, would both say that but i think i think pratt is a later round pick you know he's obviously two rounds later uh a lot less pressure on him than there is Devin bush and I think that what he will do is, for a third-round pick, I think he improves the Bengals much more than what a first-round pick on Devin Bush would for the Bengals, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yep, that makes sense. I would rather have a first-round pick in Jermaine Pratt than I would a third-round pick in Devin Bush. It's basically the short way of putting that. And I think that uh, – and honestly, I think that just drastically improves our team uh, in the in reality. I mean, Jonah Williams and Jermaine Pratt, in my opinion, were the two best players we had in this draft. And I think those would be the two – probably, arguably, the two longest to nerd players that we'll have in this class, in my opinion. Um, I think that they will be uh, – both of them could possibly in the future, and this is this is me going way farther and being way more optimistic. It, they they could both be future pro bowlers. Uh both can just drastically be leaders and important players in this team. Yeah, and you look at Pratt, and like I said, a lot of the issue, stuff that he needs to work on is just kind of technical stuff that you saw improve in his college tape as the year went on. Uh, in zone coverage, he kind of has a tendency to take a false step. That could, And a lot of times when you see him get beat in zone, it's based off like a step, and that's usually because he takes – wrong step and that's very fixable and you saw that happen less and less often uh pratt can be good about getting off blocks when he reads the play correctly but if he's late to reading the play and the lineman or whoever's blocking him can get in position to block him he's not he's not going to make the play but but when he actually knows where the play's going he's going to get off the block and kind of the one big thing that i had against him but then i didn't was his mental reading his progressing reading defenses because that's different he as different as his linebacker as he did read from a safety because he had to learn to read defenses different as a linebacker and you saw that was a problem for him earlier in the year he was a little slow reading but as he got in here I go again talking about as he plays linebacker more it became less and less of an issue so that's why I'm so excited his all his issues are just coming from a lack of experience at linebacker, and that's something that will be improved just from playing time. And that just gets me excited because Pratt has all the athletic traits. He has all the skills. It's just the more he plays, the better he'll get. It's as simple as that. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that, I mean, you know, these first three picks, I know for you it was up, down, up. Uh, but I think overall, I mean, Pratt makes me feel a lot better about the Drew Sample pick, as I mentioned earlier. And I think that um, these uh, Pratt arguably has the highest ceiling out of all. Our, I don't know. General Williams might have a higher ceiling. That must that might be a little bit. I'd give I'd give Pratt the higher ceiling just because his how athletic he is. And and I look at Pratt and I think that the thing that he brings immediately that I think we really really need is finally a great pass cover covering a, a linebacker and I think that uh, in a in a important I mean especially now uh, with a bunch of slot receivers starting to take over a lot of great tight ends such as Travis Kelsey such as uh, uh, what's his name <laughs> uh, 
49ers, uh, Greg uh, Kittle. Zach Ertz, George Kittle. Zach Ertz, George Kittle is what I was going to say. Sorry. Uh, you know, it's it's become more and more important. And I think that Pratt is finally going to add that dimension to us. And I think that's going to be something that if worst case scenario in the first two years, if he doesn't perform great, I think he's still going to be a terrific pass covering uh, linebacker. Yeah, and his and as I said, his zone coverage will be improved as he plays. He just needs to work out some footing issues. And so let's talk about how the Bengals will use Pratt. Nick Vigil will wear the radio headset. So obviously he's going to be on on the field nearly 90% of the time unless if he's hurt. I think that's a guarantee. Well, the, and normally with the radio headset, you're going to be on the field every single snap. Uh, I mean, but he, there are going to be a couple times where he's going to need a break and such. Well, I, normally you consider the person with the radio headset the quarterback of the defense. So no matter what he has, to, he's going to have to be in uh, because he is the one that is cal- calling the plays on the field every single time. I don't think he can do that from the sideline. I don't know if that's a thing that's common. Um, you know, Vontez Perfect, I believe uh, whenever or whenever he was on the field, he wears a radio headset and he's on the field 24-7. They, they might trade. I don't know if that's a thing now. I don't know if they trade the radio uh, headset during different snaps and plays. No, they don't. I know, I know if he – okay, I was going to say, because I know if he does it during the – during the actual possession, he has to stay on the field. If you wear that radio headset during that one drive, you have to stay on the field the whole entire drive. Um, I didn't. I don't know if they. I didn't. I didn't. Know, I didn't think they traded after each uh, possession. But if that's the case, uh, no, Visual will definitely have to be on the field one hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So that now, that's obviously, good. yeah, and this is kind of another thing we'll have to get into later. And so, and it seems like in. It was a good one thing. Pratt will definitely be starting in the Bengals' base defense. The 4-3, he will be our will linebacker. He will fit Burfick's role there. He fits there perfectly. But the problem is you're only in your base defense 30% of the time. Would you say that's fair? Especially, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I think you start out with it, of course, and you run it a couple more times. But after that, I think, especially this year, I think it's going to be mostly nickel, right? Yeah, exactly. Think? And I think... And obviously, I think people forget the Bengals gave Preston Brown way too much money on extension. That kind of says, yeah, you're not going to be our every down linebacker. You're not, we don't view you as a stud, but we really like you. And the Bengals have publicly said that they think his struggles last year were injury related. And they, he, Preston reportedly lost some weight. And I think the Bengals view him as, as he can play in nickel coverage, even though his time in Buffalo especially his last year in Buffalo, his best year, he was ne- he's never been good in coverage. But he's, I think he's, the Bengals view him. Nat- Go ahead. He's a natural run stopper. Uh, yeah. and like you said, the, the, I think the Bengals view him as a much more durable uh, linebacker. Uh, and I think, like I said, it worries me. It worries me that he's going to be in the nickel. I think it's going to be obvious at this point. They're both, they're both two of the longest tenured linebackers on the team. And they're also going to be, I think, the two that – the Bengals already know what they're going to bring. However, I think that um, I think that an issue is going to be stamina. I think stamina is going to be a huge issue for both those players, both Vigil and and um, Brown. I think during during snaps, Vigil has shown flashes that he can be great sometimes, but I think he also over time in long term drives, he shows that he breaks down in those in those positives that he has early on. And so I think that, in especially with uh, Preston Brown, I think you already mentioned it. Um, Preston Brown is definitely not your <laughs> ideal coverage 
guy. Um, so I think that, that that does worry me. I think that yeah, well, losing hope- weight doesn't suddenly make you good at coverage. I don't exactly. think the Bengals realize that though. Yeah, but the one man, we're having serious communication issues right now. Our chemistry isn't on point yet, but I think the Bengals will kind of sprinkle. Pratt into nickel. The one thing I will say, you, Pratt's not a guy you just want to put in and have 90% of the snaps. I'm not completely against not wanting to use him in nickel so much, but my problem is just that Brown's the other linebacker. <laughs> like, yeah. I agree that, yeah, okay, start him in base and kind of let him develop into the role because he does have developing that needs to be done. But I think this is kind of my prediction for Pratt. I think we'll primarily see Brown and Vigil and then Nickel, but as the year goes on, I think they'll start to realize, okay, Brown isn't good in coverage. Pratt is, and they start using him Pratt a little more and a little more in Nickel as the season goes on. Then I think eventually they'll be 50-50 on the Nickel snaps between Brown and Pratt, and I think by next year Pratt will be the other Nickel linebacker. Well, you you basically said exactly what I was gonna say. I think I think during at least during the middle of the year, I think they're gonna realize that Pratt's gonna be a much more reliable nickel, and I think that they'll still give Preston Brown plenty of snaps in the nickel. But I still think that Pratt eventually, at that time, like you said, will probably be fifty fifty with them. Yeah, the problem is you just can't play Pratt too much yet. So the Bengals kind of dug themselves in a hole by making Preston the only other linebacker you can use in that situation. Yeah, and that, that's why that's why. In my opinion, I'm very, very upset with us not signing another linebacker like Darren Lee. I think that giving giving us Darren Lee at that point they would make me feel so much better about this defense, especially with Pratt being able to develop the way he is. I mean, I think I think Pratt can still come in and be effective day one, but I think that if he's able to develop and sit behind a great linebacker like him, he can become immediately elite. And I still I don't think any less of Pratt without a guy like Darren Lee, but I still think that it would have made me feel so much more comfortable about this defense overall, especially the linebacking core. Yeah. I know just a few minutes ago I said Pratt will be better with playing time, but that playing time, especially a guy like Pratt, you have to kind of set a limit on. You can't overdo it or you're going to kind of slow down his development. It might take a little longer because he's going to have to deal with more. You just want to take proper steps with a guy like Pratt. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, let's go to round four. Are we going to go through all the rounds? We're already about uh, 25 uh, minutes through. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I think we're going to talk less and less as the okay, later round, fair. guys, because I don't think we're going to give an essay on Jordan Brown. <laughs> fair point. So I think – But uh, so the Bengals trade up two six-round picks and their first fourth-round pick for Ryan Finley. What's your thoughts on Finley? Honestly, we traded up, and I was so excited. Uh, I I remember we try to remember. There's so many guys I liked round four. I mean, there, oh, there were so many guys who fell. Uh, there was there was. I mean, you had Akeem Butler who was already taken off the board, but yeah, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Max Crosby, Julian Love, Bryce or not Bryce Love, Bryce Love, yeah, uh, Christian Miller, Armani Hooker, um, and, uh, Benny Snell. I'm a huge fan of Benny Snell. Uh, you know, so many guys: Riley Ridley, uh, Drew Tranquil. Um, Greg Gaines, I mean, they're not all these guys are amazing, but there's a bunch of guys that I like, especially Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. That was the guy that I was oh, that's had the guy who I wanted. three times around my paper. The guy was pointing out, like, get him, get him now, get him now. And I thought that if we didn't take QB first three rounds, no way we're doing it after that. 
I don't know what I was thinking. I forgot that we were so interested in Ryan Finley and <laughs> we take in. You, you know, I was excited. Then Peter Schrager said, "You know what? They had a visit with Ryan Finley. They just traded up, connected dots." I'm just like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, it's going to be Ryan Finley because hypothetically, the trade isn't bad. Two six round picks. I, I, I feel a little hypocritical because I kept stressing trade up, trade up. Uh, I thought. It was implied that we would trade up for a good player. And I mean, <laughs> like, honestly, yeah, I mean, I have nothing against Finley. Like, if we would have just stayed where we were and we took him, I would be a lot better with this pick. My problem with this pick, though, is we traded up for a career backup. Yeah. And I mean, like, PFF says that he's an, he has an 89.9 2018 grade. So I'm going to take that the opposite of what they said and say he's bad. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. If so, you're a person who uses PFF to decide if a player is good or bad, then you need to rethink how you evaluate football players. We we no harm to Joe Goodberry or anyone else. We we love them. We think they're terrific, but but they use PFF take, way too much. We do not take PFF for granted personally. Uh, and I think I mean that, it's a nice tool, but I don't think different of a player because I see they have PFF has a higher grade than them. Than personally, I see it as I would be totally fine with taking a back career backup from free agency rather than getting in one in the draft i think it just wasted the spot if we got Chauncey gardner johnson here this defense turns from this defense becomes really scary because oh, Chauncey gardner johnson becomes that that gives us an opportunity to run three tight end sets or three safety sets i'm sorry and we have we finally have just i mean he could play court he could play you know slot corner he can play pretty much anywhere in the secondary if you want him to. And I think that it gives a lot more flexibility for several guys. Not only does it give Sean Williams has been hurt a lot often. I think he gives a really good backup to him. It's a fourth round pick, keep in mind. So he does not have to be a starter, you know, worthy player, even though I think he is. I think he is a starter worthy player. And at that point, why don't you take him? I mean, he he obviously isn't going to be a starting safety first two or three years. Um, but I still think that, you know, He's he's going to affect this defense much more. And Ryan Finley, like you said, he's 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 a career backup. He's not. If he plays, we're not going to be happy. You yeah, know? exactly. It's not, that, it's not that he's a bad player, which I mean, it's debatable. You could say he isn't, <laughs> he isn't. But I mean, you don't want it. You don't want your starting quarterback out. So it's more of like, yeah, you're exactly. like, why is he playing? Well, we just have Gardner Johnson. You're like, yeah, this guy's this guy's cool. I can't wait to see him play. So that's just how I saw it. Yeah. So you know, let's. Let's actually talk about, you know, a lot of fans, because, you know, and this is nothing against fans. Every fan base has them, but a lot of fans only like to look at the positive stuff. And they point them to, like, you know, they say he's smart and he has good accuracy. So he then people are like, oh, Tom Brady was a six-round pick. Here's the problem with Finley. The NFL has changed, and don't ever compare Tom Brady to Ryan Finley. Tom Brady will never happen again. So let's just get out of the way. But things, yeah, Finley is seemingly smart and seemingly accurate even though his accuracy hasn't been very good reportedly at OTAs but being smart and being generally accurate doesn't get the job done you have to be able to uh, still Finley isn't smart once the play breaks down let's like sure he can read a defense initially but once the play breaks down both his accuracy and his IQ goes down he kind of freaks out uh he can't make his arm isn't all that impressive. He won't. He, he doesn't have the zip on the ball to make the elite throws. I mean, he's going to be the type of guy who initially, yeah, he can fit good in a West Coast offense. But as soon as things go bad, he's going to be absolute dog shit. I mean, you, he's going to be the guy. And I mean, like, this is 
you're, you're totally right with the freaking out thing. I think that he can develop that. But something that he's never going to be able to develop is he's never going to be able to develop that strong arm. So I think he's going to be that backup guy that comes in, throws slants, throws screens, throws the easy passes, and you know, going to rely on the field position players to make the plays themselves. And you know, like I said, that's that's something that you expect from a backup QB. But you know, you're looking at TAs right, or OTAs right now, and you're seeing Jake Dolagala show much more raw potential, much more deep arm talent. Something that I think that the Bengals could develop, you know, just as well as he could Finley. Um, and I mean, it's a trade up in the fourth round. I just expected the Bengals to choose more of a player for us to be excited about. And Finley, yeah. unless they plan on Finley to beat a future starter, which I would be totally against. Which is something we'll have to talk about on a different episode because I did, because I have kind of come up with the bad theories surrounding Ryan Finley's future, and at least yeah, for us. Yeah, that, that'll be in the episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, and like I said, Finley, if if he's going to be a starter, which we'll talk about later, I think that he's not going to offer nearly as much upside. It's not going to be any better. If not, I think he might even be worse than Dalton. Uh, without question, at this oh, point, yeah, it's not, he's a. I honestly think he's a poor man, Andy Dalton. As as a fourth round pick, I prefer Adrian McCarron. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, look at Adrian McCarron; he lost the job to Nathan Peterman. So, <laughs> but to be fair, Peterman is like the best football player to ever walk foot. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that, you know, you, you expect Adrian McCarron to be a goat. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, moving on, because talking about Ryan Finley makes me depressed. The next fourth-round pick, the one that we got from the Broncos, uh, Rennell Wren, uh, a nose tackle out of Arizona State. He's a very athletic, strong, powerful guy who has all the traits, but I gave this pick a B-plus grade, but my problem is he doesn't produce, and he's a nose tackle who really – who is athletic, says he can be a three-technique, but he hasn't really shown the – pass rush or productivity to become a three technique at the next level yeah i don't see i mean currently at least i don't see him being a three tech uh, i think that especially with atkins locking down a position pretty much and even if we sign Jerome mccoy i think that pretty much guarantees that he's never going to be a three tech at least this year um i think Jerome mccoy is and this is this is a bad comparison but this is hopefully this makes you guys understand a little bit better uh, he's basically the malik jefferson in defensive tackle I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be bad. I'm not saying he's not going to play. I'm saying he has so much raw potential. He's very athletic, extremely strong for a nose tackle. He just needs to put the pieces together. He does not have the the best um, awareness. He does not have the best technique, like you said. He uses straight power in a lot of his plays, but it's teachable. It's teachable. And Bengals are relying on that to be able to teach him. If, he, if he's never going to pick up and learn the technique skills, he's never going to be an effective defensive tackle. But if he does, he becomes so much more dangerous and so much more of a terrific pick. Many people saw him as like maybe a fifth or sixth rounder because of his uh, high risk. However, many people saw him as a third and fourth because if he if the risk is taken, he might be one of the best players in the draft. Yeah, and okay, let's say he doesn't work out. Then oh well, we lost a fourth round pick. A lot of fourth round picks in a three or four years are out of the NFL or barely making teams who are or they're fighting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, this is high risk and or high reward, medium risk. You're risking a fourth round draft pick. So, yeah, it doesn't Andrew work Billings out. being the future nose tackle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of upside with Ren. I think there's some unrealistic views of what he can be because of his athletic ability, but I still think he can be a very good defensive lineman down the road. Uh, our full, third, fourth-round pick, we trade up again for Michael Jordan, a very good basketball player, but I'm not sure he's going to do well at his age in the NFL. I know what you mean. I think he's – I mean, like, you saw, you saw his baseball career. <laughs> All right. Triple threat. So, <laughs> All right, so we get the – I say guard because Jordan's going to absolutely play guard in the NFL. You know his last year at Ohio State, he played center. Got an athletic guard from Ohio State, a hometown guy. He grew up as a Bengals fan, which is pretty cool. And he's a guy who I'm like, okay, there's some athletic ability. He's a good lead blocker. He's a good pool blocker. But – he really struggles at the kind of the one-on-ones against the b- more powerful guys like Renell Wren, even though he actually never played Wren, more powerful defensive tackles. He kind of, he doesn't have the leverage or power you want for a guard. I think something that you haven't mentioned yet that I think needs to be mentioned is the fact that he has terrific chemistry with Billy Price, and especially them being right beside each other, Billy Price being the future at center. Um, you know, if John Miller doesn't work out or if, you know, Cordy Glenn, which is going to be a whole other conversation we'll have later on, isn't the future left tackle for the team. I think that, I think that in the least, he has terrific, uh, with terrific um, chemistry with Billy Price, and he has enough potential to be effective there with him. And so I think, you know, that especially with them being used to playing with each other, uh, I think that this could become a a solid duo. At I mean, you think he's going to be a left guard? I think he's going to be left guard. Uh, and center. So, I mean, I think he's going to offer up uh, somewhat good upside. He, he does struggle. Like you said, he did play center at Ohio State, but before then, he played upside Billy Price, I, I believe left guard or right guard, one of the two. Um, but, you know, I think he could, he's going to be one of those guys that can play anywhere on the inside. Uh, worst case scenario, in my opinion, he becomes a, a swing guard that can go either way, um, maybe even play up the middle. Um, and so we'll have to see what he, how well he can do. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've Personally, I didn't think he was worth trading up for, but this is where I will give the Bengals the benefit of the doubt. A guy with a decent amount of upside. They really liked him, so I'll give them this one. I he won't. Wasn't, he wasn't falling uh, much farther, in my opinion. I think he would, we would. I've got him in the in the uh, in the fifth. Plus, I also see it as there wasn't ex- many guys at that point in time that I was extremely interested in. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at guys right now. Foster Moreau, Sharif Miller, maybe might have been a solid pick. I mean, I guess you can argue Dante Thompson, um, but we obviously weren't very interested. Ben Burkirvan, maybe. Uh, I can't. But other than that, there's not many guys I see that I would have really like cared much for. And and I, I I'm happy that the Bengals are dressing the elephant in the room and trying to do everything they can to improve the offensive line and overall create more competition for these players. So that way I'm, we, we feel much more comfortable about putting the best guy out there on the field. Yeah. No. Okay, so we didn't have a fifth-round pick, but there are two very interesting linebackers that went into fifth round. Obviously, your third linebacker, Mac Wilson, and a linebacker that we actually agreed on, Ben Burkirvan. So uh, I was had such a roller coaster with Mac Wilson throughout the draft process. Early season, I'm like, Mac best linebacker in the draft but then as the year went on I'm like eh, okay he's not a first round but I still think he's a second or third round then by the time it came to draft I'm like I don't like this guy I think he's a day three pick and there's a lot of Bengals fans who wanted him and I'm just like I'm happy we passed on him like I thought I think he 
I don't think he's even a great pick in the fifth round. I, I would have been – if we did have a fifth-round pick and did take him, I would have been okay with it. But I think he went exactly where he should have went. I, I kind of saw it. I mean, I was personally more high on him, mostly because I thought that his pass coverage ability, I think he was obviously the best pass coverage uh, tight end in the draft, in my opinion. I think that he was a terrific um, ball hawk, in my opinion. Not ball hawk. That, that's a bad word. I, for, I have a bad term to use for him. I think he's more of a – he's good at reading the quarterback's eyes and properly using the play. The uh, the finals against Clemson really scared me. He had an awful game against Clemson. Uh, and that also so did everybody was, with Bama, though. So did, you so did everyone. You're right. You're correct. Um, but but I, saw, I saw it as – I still think he's a day two pick at the worst. I mean, I didn't think he'd be day one exactly. I'd been okay with him in the third, which then again, I'm honestly at this point, I think I prefer Pratt over him. Um, but at the time, I think I was much more higher on uh, Mac Wilson than what I am now. And I think that at at this point, I was surprised that he fell to five. And I think that honestly, I think that though Cleveland got a solid pass coverage player that can be great in the future, I don't think he's gonna be a starter in Cleveland for a good while. And I think he's going to... Or if at all. And, yeah, because apparently all. that scouts were saying the media was completely overhyping him because he was an Alabama linebacker. He was never really good. And somebody did point out that his best games were in 2017 and he never improved. And I think I think also he's going to make the Browns locker room even more toxic than it already is. Yeah, I think we've talked about t- Greedy Williams having off-the-field issues. You have OBJ. You have Jarvis Landry. You have... Antonio Callaway, you have Kareem Hunt, you have Baker Mayfield, you got all these guys now in the same locker room. I mean, it's bound to blow yeah. up soon. Yeah, and some we'll talk about the Browns in another episode and kind of why we think they're not going to live up to what people expect. But it is interesting. National mock drafts on Instagram. This was his last year covering the draft, but he reported that Greedy Williams and Mac Wilson were going to fall in the draft, both of who did. And he said Mac Wilson was going to fall for, uh, and I quote, inappropriate behavior so maybe something did happen that we're unaware of maybe there's an incident that was kind of hidden but nfl teams figured out who knows maybe he he was just that bad and teams didn't like him and like you look at mac wilson's issue it's just not some attitude stuff it's you see him kind of stop during the play and there have been a couple times where if he would have given 100% on the play, he could have made a tackle on the second effort. Uh, it's just not that he doesn't read plays and his instincts aren't all that great. He just doesn't move all that well. Uh, he gets owned by blockers, and there's kind of a running joke how much I care about linebackers getting off blocks, but he just can't do that at all. Uh, he he just doesn't read defense so well. Then He doesn't sift through traffic well. He just kind of lets the play come to him. Like, when if you see Mac Wilson be effective, the only with the exception of the LSU game, because the LSU game he did play really well. If he's making a play, it's because you gave him the play. He's not making any plays. He's not creating something. And I think that is another reason Alabama he had such a good defense that sometimes when he made plays, it's actually because the defense literally gave the play to him for him to make. Yeah, I I agree. And I think I think though at this point, I think. I mean, might as well take a risk on Mac Wilson. I think he still offers upside, like you said, um, and I think that he might, he might, you know, his, his off the field issues might be an issue. And if it makes the team worse, maybe it turns out to be an awful pick, even in the fifth round. However, 
at this point, there were being punters taken, there were kickers taken. I mean, there was Matt Gay taken in uh, <laughs> pick seven in the in the fifth round, and then there was Jake Bailey from Stanford pick at twenty five by the Patriots. Uh, Austin Seibert from Oklahoma pick <sighs> thirty two. Then Amani Aruwi. Or whatever his name is. I mean, he was a much better pick than those. Oh, he was. I wanted him. I had a second round grade on him. I was surprised he fell. I mean, there, but like I said, like like I was just about to mention that. Um, there was plenty of guys I think that Cleveland could have taken there. I mean, you see Blake Cashman sitting there as well, which is another guy we didn't mention. Um, yeah, that we have very different uh, opinions on. Um, Hunter Rimfrau, uh, Ben Burkirvan was available, uh, or no, I yeah, actually, let's talk about Ben Burkirvan because I think that's the linebacker we both actually agreed on. One of the very few we both liked and thought was underrated, and he was honestly to me a maybe a little more undersized, but safer version of Mac Wilson. Of he's very good in the passing game. He struggles a decent amount in the run game, but I saw his issues. He played with a lot more heart than Mac. Uh, he played a little more. IQ a little more readiness and he's a guy who if we had a fifth round pick I would have been all over I look at I look at member Kervin right now and I honestly I think 1000% at this point in the fifth round I think he's the best pick um, oh, I think I trust Seattle I trust Seattle so well with picking draft picks especially we see him reach on guys all the time but they end up becoming great players and I see member Kervin as I mean, he's gonna be playing beside Bobby Wagner. He's gonna be playing beside you know KJ Wright. He has every single opportunity to learn so much behind those guys. And that's a perfect so well. fit. And like you said, he has he has heart and he 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 loves to play. He's a high motor. I he's not as great in the rating game, but he is a he's a solid raw prospect that has room to improve and wants to improve so badly and he's literally in my opinion the exact opposite of Ben Burkirvan attitude wise but very very similar game wise and yeah like, on the field wise and so I think I think Ben Burkirvan can be seen as fitting in a much nicer system p- compared to Cleveland <laughs> as in Seattle and I think overall it just it's a feel-good pick for me it honestly yeah is. And it just made me, it just made me happy to see. I, I'm also I, I like saying a lot. I have a lot of respect for maybe one of my top five favorite teams in the NFL. And I'm happy to see that Ben Burkirvan is going to go to a team that has terrific linebackers, can be in a nice system, can be around great players, and overall improve. Yeah, and uh, you look at Ben Burkirvan, and this thing that the Bengals got him, then we kind of have that other nickel linebacker we have while we let Pratt develop in the base. And you just use Ben Perkirvin strictly in nickel, and then boom, you don't have to worry about overdeveloping Pratt and forcing him to play in the nickel. You can just let him be in base and let um, him develop. And your future is Pratt and Ben Perkirvin in the nickel. To me, the best Ooh. part about the best part about possibly getting Ben Perkirvin in the fifth would have been for us to cut Jordan Evans. <laughs> Oh God! That that in itself would be a win, honestly. Like he could be the worst one <laughs> back in the world. For that. It would have been a win if, if we just cut him, honestly. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we're celebrating when Evans gets cut. Nothing yeah. against Evans, but oh, well, a lot against Evans. But we'll talk about <laughs> it later. <laughs> All right. So now, everything. Okay. Then, so then the sixth round pick, Travion Williams. He was one of my f- personal favorite running backs in the draft. I think. He was really good value this six, and he kind of going to be a utility running back for us. I think he's going to kind of he's going to be a career of kind of Giovanni Bernard type of not playing style, but 
he's never going to be that starter, your guy, but he's going to be he's reliable. Be he can, yeah, third down back, he's going to be reliable. Dude has so much freaking heart. I love it. He's kind of has that, I want to be, I want to do whatever it takes to be really good. And he's, uh, even though he's not the shiftiest, even though he's kind of on the smaller side, he plays with a ton of power. You're not going to bring him down on first contact. He moves well in space. He runs people over. He's a really good pick. I see Draven Williams as a guy that has a great nose for the end zone. And you saw it in plenty of videos in Texas A&M. They, they, did ter- they, they, put, they made him terrific. I can't explain it. They coached him terrifically. Um, they, they made him have the, the nose for the end zone and have the absolute hunger for every single time he touches the ball, he's aiming for the end zone and not going anywhere else. And so Bernard is more of a outside wide receiver type, but Travion Williams, I think what he brings to this team is a guy that could still pick up the same amount of yardage per play as, as Giovanni Bernard with less risk. Because Giovanni Bernard, you're going to have to pass the ball to him. He's going to have to, you know, you have wide receivers blocking in the outside. I see Travion Williams as a guy that gets, you know, through the holes. He, he's great at finding great gaps in the middle, and he can bounce it out to the outside if need be. And like you said, he has terrific power. He's able to shake off tackles. He's not the most elusive guy, but he's more of a guy that can just, like, you know, he has two guys driving on him. He's going to keep trucking, you know. He's a lot of heart, like you said. And like, he has, has that nose for the end zone, and that's what I absolutely love about uh, Travion Williams. Yeah. Then our second six-round pick, which I think we have a little different views on, Deshaun Davis, the linebacker from Auburn. Uh, he's, he's an old-style linebacker. He's decently smart. Uh, he has a nose for the football, but he is extremely unathletic, which isn't ideal for today's NFL. I see Deshaun Davis, and you you are correct. He's definitely not the most athletic. I think I think he's an immediate improvement over Hardy Nickerson, however, and I think he's going to fit the middle linebacker role behind Preston Brown very well. Neither of them are very very uh, are very uh, you know <laughs> agile or very athletic, as you mentioned. Yeah, he's uh, less athletic than Preston Brown. He if is, that he says is. something. He's less athletic, but I think he. I think he does have similar skills to Preston Brown as being a great run stopper. And I think, I think he's better at getting off blocks. Yeah, very much better at getting off blocks. And I think that – I think I trust Deshaun Davis. He, it's a low-risk pick. It's round six, keep in mind, all right? There's not many players at this point that I would really prefer. Oh, there is so – a decent amount of linebackers that I would have taken over him. And that's what point, kind of also bugs me. Yeah, Joe Giles Harris – Gary Johnson, there's somebody else. There was a lot of linebackers. Dakota Allen, maybe. Dakota Allen was one. There's just, I guess my main problem is pick because, I mean, realistically, a guy in the sixth round, you're not oh, expecting to have a big. Tavon Coney was the other big one. That that would okay. That I would have took Tavon Coney over over Deshaun Davis in my opinion, but I think Deshaun Davis fits the middle linebacker role that the Bengals are looking for, and it's a run stopper. And I think it's something that Preston Brown offered. And I think that if he's going to – I don't – I if the – I see it as we aren't going to change the Bengals' opinion on who they're, how they're going to play their scheme, right? I don't I don't think they're ever going to change their scheme, e- even if we tell them we're going to stop watching forever. And so I see it as t- Deshaun Davis at least is going to fit that scheme in the future and offer a better backup than what Hardy Nickerson already is. I could trust yeah. I could trust Deshaun Davis on the field over than I over Hardy Nickerson. Yeah, I mean Davis at best he's going to become the base four three, but I think just because he's going to be with the Bengals right away, the Bengals will never trust him in nickel, and 
He's never gonna be nickel. He's never gonna I'm be actually, dime. Yeah, I know I'm a I'm actually a little I kinda wanna see Davis and Nickel in the preseason just to see how that goes. Little curious I mean, there. We're seeing Preston Brown playing in nickel this year, so we might as well. But the Bengals also think because he can lose weight, he can become good in coverage. And we'll see. We'll Remember see if that. he if he loses weight and comes faster. But the thing is, it's just not speed. His just his overall technique is just not very good. There's just so much he needs to improve at. And at this point in his career, I don't see it being improved. And also, it's not easy to lose ten to fifteen pounds in one off season. It's, yeah, easy. It, it's not easy. But keep in mind, it's a sixth round pick. If he doesn't, you still get immediate improvement over Hardy Nickerson. Yeah, no, I think he. He has the potential to be a decent 4-3 Mike linebacker. But my problem with this pick, as I said, there's just so many other linebackers I would have preferred yeah. who I think have higher upside and could be potential nickel players and still fill that kind of base linebacker role. Both Tavon Coney and Joe Gallus Harris are guys I'm, who I thought were good run stuffers yeah. who could also be in coverage. But enough enough. Then we go – Rodney Anderson with our last six-round pickup. Honestly, very similar player to Joe Mixon. He can make people miss, uh, even though he's not super agile. Uh, very good vision, and uh, he kind of has that Mixon heart to him where he gets really excited. Uh, he's a good receiver. You can honestly line him up as a receiver, and he can make some catches. Uh, he has really good at running through contact. He kind of has that Mixon where – that juke of your tackle up initially, but he jukes out of it. Uh, so we have, but he's very, very injury prone. Injuries have followed him throughout college. He tore his ACL week two or week three of the college season. So, I mean, if he's a guy who, if he could, if he was healthy and injuries weren't an issue, he, you could argue he was the best running back in this draft. But because of injuries of at a position that really isn't valued as it once was, he fell. But he's very talented. I, for a while, I was like, when are you going to talk about his injuries? Because, I mean, like when, when I look at Rodney Anderson, it's the first thing I think of is his injuries. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I watch his tape, and I just can't forget. <laughs> like, he's he's injured, you know. And um, I think that, yeah, again, it's a later six-round pick. You already had Travion Williams. So, even if he doesn't – even if he isn't able to play, you have Travion Williams who's able to completely back up. I do agree, though. I think it's becoming a consensus uh, opinion that Rodney Anderson is arguably – you know, a day two pick, running back pick. I think that people thought definitely. I definitely think it could be better, Dale Henderson or um, some of these other guys. And I think that he offered terrific upside. Joe Mixon was the guy that played in front of him. He was the second string behind Mixon for uh, a year. I think it was two years of his career. He was the second string behind Mixon, and I think he learned a lot from him. And I think that if the if the Bengals get what they want out of Ronnie Anderson, it's going to be a a permanent. Uh, back up behind Joe Mixon. If Joe Mixon gets hurt, you come right back with another Joe Mixon. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Joe, it's that Spider-Man meme. Joe Mixon V2. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think that was a good pick. Then our last pick, Jordan Brown, a cornerback out of South Dakota State. Yeah, good coverage, uh, very good zone, reliable and man. However, he cannot tackle to save his life, and that kind of sucks because you want – these late round guys to play in, on special teams, especially kind of like a corner or just any guys you get in secondary, you would like to play on special teams, but he can't tackle and that kind of takes away some really good value of this pick. I, I look at Jordan Brown and I just see that he has like he has to make the roster based off his skill at corner. 
he cannot do it through special teams. He doesn't have the Cody core advantage to where he can make the team solely because of special teams. He could be the awfulest wide receiver cornerback in the world, but he's going to make the team because of special teams. And that's the issue. And I, I totally agree with you, as you said there. You know, I look at later picks, and I see Jimmy Moreland. Jimmy Moreland is a much better tackler than Jordan Brown. I think that in the, at the worst, he's become a, a terrific a special teamer for the Redskins. And I see Jordan Brown as, especially with the amount of players we have at corner, we have, we have, you know, I'm not even going to mention the the four consensus guys that are going to have roster spots. You're also going to have guys behind them, K. Avery Russell. Uh, you're going to have uh, Darius Phillips. You're going to have Devontae Harris. You're going to have, uh, I can't even think of, Tony McRae. Uh, you're going to have so many guys that are not only are better cornerbacks at this point, but are also much more valuable at special teams. I see, I see uh, Jordan Brown as he's going to have to become a terrific cornerback in the preseason and be one of the standouts at least to have a chance at the uh at the uh 53-man roster so I see him as a practice squad player I look at other guys at in the seventh round and like you said there's several linebackers that were falling past this I do see guys like Jimmy Moreland I would I would have loved Jimmy Moreland at this pick I think that he's a guy that can offer great potential at uh, uh in special teams and I also see guys like like PJ Johnson out of Arizona uh, George Osafo IJ out of Kentucky, which I'm kind of biased about. <laughs> and then uh, you know, other guys like Terry Godwin, wide receiver out of Georgia. Uh, several other guys I would have been totally fine with taking here as well. Yeah. So I mean, that's our draft class. Uh, yeah, I think we had a – so, yeah, <laughs> I haven't finished draft grade, draft class. And, yeah, it's very in-depth. We had 10 picks, so it took a decent amount to talk about. And we still have some other stuff to talk about. But – I haven't calculated, but I would give this draft grade a B probably because I thought there's some really good picks. There's some very questionable picks. Then there's just some average picks. Okay, so like I said, I I think I think the biggest the biggest wild card at the and on this class is Drew Sample, and I think our opinion on Drew Sample is really going to determine what the overall grade of this pick is going to be. So you're lower on Drew Sample, you give him a B. I'm much higher on Drew Sample. I'm gonna give him this great this grade an A minus. Most I give the sample pick a C minus. See, I give the sample pick probably a B. I'll give it a straight up B. And I think because of that, I give the overall grade an A minus. Uh, my least favorite pick is obviously gonna be Ryan Finley here. It's the only pick that I really don't I really question and don't understand, especially trading up in the fourth four. Uh, other than that, I think there's several other players like such as Jermaine Pratt, Renell Wren, offer offer terrific upside. Uh, guys that at the least, you know, Travion Williams, Rodney Anderson can be uh, solid pieces in the future. Um, you know, you know, I I just see it as this team. I think this draft definitely improved this team. I think I think there's a lot more bad, worse possibilities that could have happened that could have came from this draft than what actually happened. And uh, overall, I'm really, really excited, especially about Jonah Williams and Jermaine Pratt. And I think those two solely could really just completely change the complexion of this team. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of just a lot of really good picks that starters down the road. And there's also guys that love football. And something that kind of went under the table is Pratt is a film junkie. So yeah. I kind of like that, and that's also going to help him de- develop as a linebacker. So uh, as we said in the intro, we're just not going to always talk about Bengals. We're going to we're humans. We also like other stuff. And Avengers Endgame movie <laughs> came out over a month ago. It's June. Oh, it's now June first. It's past midnight. It was May third. 
31st when we started recording, but we like to talk a lot. So here we are. But <laughs> something about Endgame that still hasn't exactly been resolved is how Captain America time travel worked. Now, the time travel, how time travel worked in the movie was pretty clear. It's kind of, I did research, it's basically Dragon Ball time travel rules. Whenever you change something in the past, that creates an alternate timeline. So, but the question is, it's just basically a argument between the directors and the writers is obviously Captain America goes back in the past and he lives his life with Peggy. Then he comes back with a new shield. The writers are saying that was always what was supposed to happen. But then the directors are saying, no, he created an alternate timeline because he went back. So they kind of have a disagreement. So uh, do you think he created a new timeline or he... That was kind of always what happened. He always was going to go back, and he was always the secret husband. Okay, so before we start this, I just—I hate to bring it back to football. I just found it funny that we we went completely just straight over Stanley Morgan Jr. and the undrafted free agent. I, I mean, we're going to—that's—that's that's another. I thought we we're going to talk that's about a, no, no, undrafted I, another time. Yeah, that's this, fine. That—that's totally fine. I just, yeah, I was. <laughs> you're all good. You're all good. You were straight to in game, and I wasn't expecting that. You're fine, but um. No, I think uh, I I do think that it's hard to decide with where it's going. For me, I can sit back and watch the movie. I don't think too hard about it, um, but I see it as I think that Cap did create an alternate timeline when doing it. Um, I think that that makes the most sense to me personally. I don't know about you. Uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on that, but I can't think of like a possibility of how Cap was always with Peggy. I just exactly like that doesn't wrap around my head very well. It doesn't sign. It doesn't scientifically make sense. I kind of just gave it away. What I view, I think, Cap creating alternate timeline makes the most sense. And you, they've already established changes stuff in the past creates new timelines, which makes a lot of sense. So why not? You're almost just altering what you said, and I just don't know how it's possible that Cap could. Was always because in order for Cap to always be the husband, then the that whole timeline would need to happen. And tell me if this doesn't make sense. But in order for that to always happen, Cap would first have to time travel. But that's impossible because they didn't know how to. Yeah, exactly. Peggy would have to live out her life before Cap unfreezes doesn't learn time travel. So how could he always be the husband if the future never happened? If that makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, because the future never <laughs> happened with Peggy first living her life. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, there's nothing I can add to that. I mean, you, you explained it well there. I mean, I just see it as Cap would have had a child travel before, which makes sense. And it would have completely changed the whole entire complexity of the end game movie itself if he if he did, correct? I mean, you got to think that. Yeah, they, they established that you can't changing the past doesn't change your future that like they have the whole quid that becomes a new future as in a new timeline so if he can't change anything in the future then that can't be the same timeline right <laughs> then the whole logic of oh he was always a husband that just doesn't go well so you're telling me he went back in time knowing 9-11 knowing all these attacks knowing his best friends with hydra and he doesn't right. do anything like yeah he has to do something i think if he does do something in that new timeline there's just no way he can sit back and let all that happen or else the whole point of civil war just goes down the toilet or maybe you know i mean i, I haven't that 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 would be really really interesting for future movies. <laughs> I really want to see what he what he would have done. 
but yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and then just kind of top that off. I mean, some people were kind of pointing out, but how could he get back to the future without going on the platform? I think that's kind of a plot hole. I think they were going for dramatic effect at that point. I also yeah. think it's possible in that new alternate timeline, they he maybe is like, okay, guys, this is how you build this quantum time travel. And he just, because we saw once you travel through the platform, you can land at a random spot, maybe in the new timeline and the other Iron Man sent him through. So he could land at that spot. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of speculating probably Marvel screwed up because you're going for dramatic effect over accuracy at that point. But yeah, kind of going to the point, there's just really no way Cap living in the past in that's the same timeline. Something else to point. Aunt Carol, or Aunt Carol, I just said that. Shannon, he kind of caps girlfriend, also his now niece in the other timeline. So like she knew her aunt Peggy pretty well. You're trying to tell me that she knew Peggy but didn't know her husband. And if she Cap was always the husband, there's no way she tries to hook up with Cap in the regular timeline. <laughs> that just got really really complicated exactly like she would have to know who her uncle was if that was the case that... trying to tell me that <laughs> she was so kids cap oh my god <laughs> see then what do you think about it like that you just know what that was always the husband <laughs> yeah that that just got really disturbing all of a sudden then also, then also just kind of something i thought of right now obviously and them see they want to bring Tom Hardy's Venom into the MCU. Oh, yes, I'm so, so excited. This is the perfect way to do it. You can say, okay, he comes from the timeline where Captain America prevented everything from happening. Think about it. Obviously, just you could tell that this, obviously, it wasn't the same universe because of the sunny Marvel day. That deal hasn't gone through, but they're introducing the multiverse and maybe he's in the alternate timeline where Captain America lived his life with Peggy and gave Nick Fury every information to avoid the alien attacks and such like that. So when Tom Hardy looks surprised that aliens exist, it's because in this timeline, and of course Marvel can make this up. It's in this time where Captain America may avoided all of that. Yeah. Right. I just kind of made that up on the top of my head, but you could just kind of tie all that in. Marvel's really good at doing that. And what the the best the best part about this, and like I said, I don't look nearly as elaborate into the as you do. But the one thing I really like is the fact that finally now the multiverse is open, and we get so many other characters that and possibilities. We got X Men coming now. We have Fantastic Four coming. We got Venom, Deadpool, all these guys be coming in now. We have Mysterio now. Uh, you know, it just it really makes me excited for the future of Marvel and especially for Phase. It's Phase. Is it Phase Four? Uh, they are starting Phase Four with. Actually, no. Spider Man's the end of Phase Phase Three. Three. So yeah, yeah. they're starting Phase Four. Then apparently the X Men and Fantastic Four aren't going to be brought on until Phase Five. Right. That's what I heard. Which yeah. makes sense because they just bought the thing with Sony. They've already been planning these other movies like. The Black Widow movie as the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is going to be funny. And they kind of have the internals, the I forget the eight the China based movie with the China hero. Uh Chun Li. Yeah. Chun Li. That, they've been developing that. So 
they're just not going to throw away all, the, and also Doctor Strange two and Black Panther two, Captain Marvel two. They're not going to throw all those away now because they bought the X Men and such. They're going to wait to bring those along, which is perfectly fine with me. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's Shang Chi, by the way. I was uh, got it wrong. My bad. Oh yeah, I I mean it sounded right. <laughs> it it did sound right. I think it's I think Kung Lee's actually a a, a uh, Street Fighter character. <laughs> That makes Which, sense. It, well, it makes sense. I got it mixed up because they have their own games with with Marvel. So, I, I have an excuse. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Next time, I think we're going to have to talk about our favorite characters in Marvel. Yeah, exactly. And also, for future references, our episodes won't be this long. Kind of just first episode and also just how big our draft was. That kind of made this episode longer than it was supposed to. But if you guys stuck around to the end, thank you so much for listening. Comment your thoughts if you're on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're this is on a podcast platform, you can message me on Instagram. I'm Braden Bengals underscore NFL. And you can also follow Blake tailgate.bangles. Send us your message. Send us your thoughts, what you'd like to see. We'll always answer. Our DMs are always open. Thank you guys so much for listening. And who day? Who day?